0: Psalms 120-134, through designated the Songs of Ascents, form their own distinct collection within the Psalter. Who wrote these psalms, and for what occasion? David Mitchell, a biblical scholar, musicologist, and Hebraist, is here to answer these questions. His book, The Songs of Ascents, published by Campbell Publications in 2015, aims to reconstruct the ritual and liturgical context in which the Songs of Ascents were first sung. He provides not only a commentary for each of the psalms, but also sheet music, attempting to recapture the original music through the Masoretic Cantillation. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies. I'm Michael Morales, your host. David C. Mitchell is Director of Music for Holy Trinity Pro-Cathedral in Brussels. His publications include The Message of the Psalter, The Songs of Ascents, and Messiah Ben-Joseph, along with various papers and musical works. You can visit his website at www.brightmorningstar.org. David, welcome.
1: Hello, good afternoon.
0: David, give us a little background to your life and how you came to write this book, "The Songs of a Sense."
1: I am Scottish. I grew up in Scotland. Um, I, 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 am, um, I trained as a, a musician when I was young, but also I studied theology. And when I finished my doctorate on the Psalms, I asked myself which way I had to go. And it seemed to me the answer was that uh, music ministry is an important thing. This was what I was seeing in the Psalms. I suppose if you read the New Testament or the book of Acts, you might think the preaching was an important thing. But what I got from the Psalms was that music ministry was an important thing. So in finishing my PhD, I set up a recording studio in Edinburgh, which isn't a natural career step. Um, but that's what I did. I did some recording of uh, music. Um, then, with one thing and another, I ended up as the director of music in Holy Trinity in Brussels. So now I'm in the Anglican musical system. What I was doing way back in Edinburgh was contemporary praise and worship. Now it's much more traditional as choral music, orchestral music. I still do the whole range from plain song, polyphony, through to um, praise and worship. Uh, We do Bach Passions, we do Mozart, Masses, we do the works. But um, there's also this other side to me, which is I write on the interface between music and theology and the theology of worship and the book of Psalms. In a sense, the book of Psalms is central to much of my
0: David, orient us to the Psalms of Ascent as a collection within the Book of Psalms. Why are they called Songs of Ascent?
1: Well, the, the title Songs of Ascent, Shihamalot, is a double meaning. It refers, first of all, to pilgrims traveling up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot, but it refers, on the other hand, to a ritualized pilgrimage within the Temple on the 15 steps that lead up to the Nicanor Gate. And the two processions reflect each one another. that the priests, the Levites, processing up the steps within the temple, are mirroring the pilgrims coming up to the city outside. And so there's this double meaning to the ascents. There's also this old, standard old Hebrew word for steps. So these were sung, songs sung in the steps of the temple.
0: So does this collection of psalms have a storyline?
1: I think it does. Yes, there's a pretty clear storyline. The opening psalm, you've got an Israelite living among hostile foreign neighbors, and he leaves for the city of God. And then in the first psalm, he's looking to the hills as he travels up toward Jerusalem. In the the third psalm, um, he's entering the gates of Jerusalem with his fellow travelers. In the fourth psalm, he's turning his heart to worship at the temple. And then at the end, there's a series of psalms where things begin to unwind, where they bless the priests, where they receive a blessing from the priests, where they honor the king, and then the people leave. So there's that storyline. What happens in the middle is perhaps a little bit less clear, but I make some suggestions within the book. But a lot of it has to do with um, acknowledging the house of David and praying for the well-being of Israel.
0: Tell us about the composition of these psalms. Who lies behind them?
1: Well, the figures of David and Solomon lie behind them. Um, The keystone psalm, the central psalm, is Psalm 127, which is the pivot of the whole collection. And the central word of Psalm 127 is Yiddidol, which is his beloved. whose beloved? Well, the beloved of the Lord. And, of course, Yiddidol yedid Ya was Solomon's name. It means the beloved of the Lord. And so Yiddido or Yiddi Ya is Solomon. This is the central word in the collection. And we find that word hidden throughout the collection in, in Gematria. So we find 28 for Yedid. we find 43 for Yidya, Ya, and we find 14 for the name of David re- occurring repeatedly as well. I'm not saying. They were the only authors. In fact, I suggest that the Merorite Levites, may also have been involved. This is, I think, beyond the level of proof, but I show some reasons why this looks likely in this case.
0: David, what was the original occasion for these psalms, and how were they used throughout Israel's history?
1: I think they were first sung at the dedication of Solomon's temple, and that's what they were composed for, in, on the 15th of Tishri, 959 B.C., in the last watch of the night, um, their being used at this time made them the, the central liturgy for the opening of the Feast of Sukkot for the next thousand years until the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans. So, yes, their, their, first, their first context was the dedication of the Temple, and that was their determining context for the next thousand years.
0: You mention a prophetic aspect to the Psalms of Ascet. Tell us about that.
1: Well, that ties back to my 1997 book, The Message of the Psalter. I argue in The Message of the Psalter that the book of Psalms is redacted according to a, an eschatological and messianic program or timetable, and that it is similar to the timetable in Ze- the last chapters of Zechariah. That's the sustained argument of The Message of the Psalter. Now, the part that the Songs of Ascent plays in this is that In Zechariah chapter 14, after the Messiah comes uh, to reign in Jerusalem, all the nations will go up to Jerusalem to worship the the king in in Jerusalem at the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And because because the Songs of Ascents are so tied up with the Feast of Sukkot, because they represent this pilgrimage to the Feast of Sukkot, I suggest that within the timetable of the Book of Psalms, they are pointing to that point when the Messiah has come and has re- begun to reign in Jerusalem, and now all the nations, along with Israel, are going up to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, in Jerusalem, as Zechariah said.
0: Many scholars assume there was no music during the tabernacle era. Israel Noel even refers to it as the sanctuary of silence. How do you suppose music came to play such a dominant role in
1: the temple era? Wow. Well, It wasn't unknown. I mean, other people were using music in temple worship, in Sumer and in Egypt and places like that. But the Israelites, there's no evidence that they did use it. Whether it was completely silent, I I don't know. That hasn't occurred to me. But um, certainly there was no sustained regular ministry of music. But David instituted this thing. Now... It was something that seems to have grown up with Samuel and the Korahites, because we read about this at the beginning of the book of Samuel, about the priests and prophets with tambourines and timbrels and flutes and harps coming down from the the, the high place um, at Gibeah. And I I think this is something David got from his involvement with, with Samuel's spiritual movement, but I think he was he had a natural inclination to it himself. He was known to be a musician. And so I think he with his own instinct and with what he learned from Samuel, he decided to make worship a regular part of Israel the musical worship a regular part of Israelite worship, as was done in other parts of the of the East. And um it had far-reaching consequences. It gave the Levites a new role. I'm sure the Levites would have been quite keen to adopt it. But um, th- I think that was what, what started it. Yes, I think David was, was the key figure, but he took his initiative from Samuel.
0: Uniquely, in your book, you reconstruct the original music of these psalms. How is that
1: possible? Well, the music of the psalms is not lost. It's just mis- what is lost is the key. The the Masoretic codices, that is, the Aleppo Codex and the Leningrad Codex, contain cantillation marks. And I have argued, and others have argued as well, that first of all, these marks are essentially musical. And secondly, that they are of great antiquity. Now, at the Society of Old Testament Studies conference in January, I argued that they're from a, te- a written, temple period written source. Since that is so, this is the written music of the temple song. What we have lost is the ability to decipher it. But great advances were made in this in the 1970s by a French musicologist called Suzanne Picontura, and I have based my reconstructions. quite a large extent on her insights. Um, So there's more to come on that, but if your listeners want to know more now, there's a couple of articles on my website they can pick up and read it, and it says a bit more about it in the Songs of Ascent book too, so that's an introduction to the subject.
0: David, before we let you go, tell us about another book you've published recently. It's called Messiah Ben-Joseph.
1: That's right. Messiah bin Yosef is the slain Messiah of Rabbinic Judaism. He is Rabbinic Judaism's best-kept secret, if you like. Um, he is a Messiah who comes from Galilee to die at the gates of Jerusalem for the sins of the world. And there has always been discussion about where this figure came from. Some think he was prompted by a historical event like the death of Bar Kochba. Others think he came out of the tension in Israelite literature between the pictures of a suffering king and a triumphing king, and, and other explanations have been suggested. My view is the view of the old rabbis is that he is taught in Genesis and in Deuteronomy, and I argue that throughout my book. Um, the key texts are, are Genesis 49, the blessing on Joseph, where the Lord promises to Joseph um, a shepherd rock from Shaddai and then the blessing on Joseph of Moses which promises um, a coming Messiah from Joseph who will be like a firstborn ox that is destined to sacrifice and then he will be like a triumphant aurochs who will conquer and be free. So from Deuteronomy 33, 7 on the suffering, the sacrificial sufferings and death of the Messiah and his eventual triumph are foretold. Uh, And I I trace this through the prophets, through the the Psalms, through the pseudepigrapha, through the Dead Sea Scrolls, through the Targums and the Talmud and the homiletic midrashim, the the exegetical midrashim, the apocalyptic midrashim, the medieval rabbis, the Zohar, the whole way up to modern times. And the If your readers are interested in messianism, or in the messianism of the Psalms, or of rabbinic literature, I I recommend it. It's the first book on the subject uh, in English, and the biggest book on the subject ever published. It's about 145,000 words or something like that.
0: That is fascinating, David. Are you working on anything else these
1: days? These days I'm working on musical projects, some composing and some musical recording. I'll be finished that by the summer, and then um, in September I hope to go back down to some more writing, and that will either be, well I've got two projects in mind, one is um, a full scale revision of my message of the Psalter, uh, my my basic hypothesis is unchanged, but I need to deal, interact with more recent literature on the subject, um, or the other one is another book on the Masoretic Cantillation, at the moment I'm feeling that's what's going to come first. It won't be as long as either of my recent books, perhaps 80,000 words, Um, but I think that's what will come first. And its argument is to prove clearly that Masoretic Cantillation is musical, that it has a tempo period source, and that it is the lost music of the Psalms. I won't talk about the deciphering, that will be for another book, because there's a lot of Background reading I have to do in synagogue Cantillation, which I, I'm, I'm currently doing as well. But I have to do more on that before I actually get down to the question of the deciphering. We have a lot to learn from Cynical Cantillation. Um, it is very diverse and has become very diverse over the last 2,000 years. But there are traditions within it that are, seem to be very ancient. And we can learn from them.
0: David, it's been a pleasure hearing more about your work. Thank you for being with us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you. God bless.
0: Thank you. God bless you too. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies. Until next time, goodbye.